my MO was meet somebody out at a bar, one night stand, move in the next week. <laughs> I was like, dang. <laughs> and then be in a relationship. <laughs> and then be in a relationship for three years. And it's kind of funny because it is kind of like what you were saying about the friend group. Like I would find people to be in relationships with that were doing the same thing that I was doing because it normalizes it. Totally. And there's another saying in recovery, not to like just be regurgitating all of this, but you know, the saying about having lower companions and you hang out with lower companions because they either make you feel like what you're doing is okay or at best they normalize it. And so you feel like, you know, what you're doing is normal. A dream can be anything, whether yours is to start a business, be in a healthy relationship, pursue your dream career, or to get right spiritually. Every week, the Dream Check podcast brings you tips, tricks, and real-life insight from people who are living their dreams to the fullest. I'm Nicole Ivanoff, an established international wedding photographer and wife. Like you, I have so many dreams, some of which I've lived out and others I'm still pursuing daily. I'm a girl from suburban Detroit who's made her way out to LA, and although I'm no guru, I have a heart to show you that if I or anyone who comes on this podcast can do it, so can you. Welcome to the show. Time to check in. What's up, friends, and welcome back for another episode on the Dream Check Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Ivanoff. If you are new to the show, welcome. I'm so happy that you're here. And if you are a regular listener, welcome back. Today on the show, we have my friend, Ariel Laurie. Ariel and I have been trying to record this podcast for a couple months now. We finally got it done. Her and I met through work, I guess. I essentially am her photographer. I shoot a good percentage of her content on her Instagram, and that has turned into a friendship. And today she's going to talk about like her testimony, a little bit of her story and how she got to where she is today. You know, when I started this podcast and I share this on the episode, you know, I started around the idea that a dream can literally be anything big or small. And her story is so encouraging. She went from having a very chaotic lifestyle, lots of drugs, lots of alcohol to the life that she has today, which is a very successful career, a very healthy marriage. She is literally thriving and all of the steps she took to get there I think anyone can use those steps and change their life as well. And so today we talk about just that, what it took to get her to where she is today, how she made the change, what that change took, and what that old version of herself taught her, like what she took from that and how she uses that today to her advantage. I just think she's an incredible human being. She has so much going for her. She's so intelligent, so smart. She also has her own podcast. I'm sure some of you have heard it. It's called The Blonde Files Podcast. It's so good. And yeah, I'm just honored to talk to her today. I think her story has a lot of power to encourage others because I always say if God can do it for them, they can do it for you. And so, uh, yeah, no testimony is too small. No story is too small. There's something to take away, I think, from everyone's journey. And I think her journey is going to encourage and inspire many. Let's welcome her to the show. All right. Let's welcome Ariel Laurie to the show. Hello. Hi. <laughs> just going to say, can we just tell your listeners like how long we've been trying to get this? It's literally been <laughs> since January. Anyway, I'm glad we finally made this happen because like we said, it's, it's been a minute. So 
when I started this podcast, like I started it around the idea that, you know, a dream can literally be anything big or small. And I think a lot of the time when people think about dreams, they think of like, oh, a big career goal or a dream job. But oftentimes we forget that like a dream can literally be to be a good mom or to walk 12K steps a day or to get sober or like all these things like the list goes on. And I know for you, like a dream you had was to get sober, which you accomplished and are now literally thriving in life. And so I'm just excited to talk to you because I feel like you've overcome so much and have accomplished so many dreams that that kind of led you to where you are today. Today. And so just, you know, for example, for those who maybe don't know, she has an incredibly successful podcast and um, which I love, um, along with just everything else you do on Instagram, which we know is literally so much work. And you are a part of that. Thank you very much. Yes. So we actually met through photography. I shoot a lot of her content. So that's what kind of brought us here today. But I just wanted to talk on just a couple of things that I find so amazing about you and not only how you took control of your life to get sober, but how, you know, your incredible work ethic and the healthy marriage you're in and, you know, those kind of topics. And I shared this quote on Instagram a while ago, but it's the girl I used to be was never good for me, but she taught me who I am now. So even though I left her in the life I once had, I still need to thank her for walking me to where I am now. And just knowing like what I know about you, I feel like that quote probably resonates with you a lot as well. Mm -hmm. And so just wanted to ask you, like, who was the person you once were versus who you are today? And like, what, what is the main difference between that, that person you used to be? First of all, I love that quote. And so good, right? Yes, so good. I mean, it's so hard to even kind of articulate like who I was before, because on the one hand, like I've been sober for eight years, like you said, and I'm so kind of detached from who I was before, Mm -hmm. not in a bad way, because I definitely look back and I was having a conversation with someone about this today. I look back and I'm like so grateful for everything that I went through because it really did get me to where I am. But I mean, talk about like a complete 180. Like I am a complete different person than I was before because um, prior to getting sober, like I truly was kind of a prisoner in my own life, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Not only from drugs and alcohol, but also I was a prisoner because of fear. I was so afraid to follow my dreams and I was so afraid to get help. And so my life got really, really small. And, you know, I found drugs and alcohol when I was pretty young, like I was in high school. And when I found them and I started using, like it really took on a life of its own. So all of my dreams or ambitions or anything that I had kind of took a backseat to the drugs and alcohol because those like soothed me in a way that nothing else could. And, and as a result, like I said, my life got really small and I ultimately ran it into the ground. And that's kind of how I got to where I am now. Would you say there was like a rock bottom moment? I just like, for example, like for me, like I went from kind of having one night stands very often, like very different, but like I was also a prisoner to that like lifestyle I was living. And I I had like a rock bottom moment where I was like, I'm done. Like this is no longer serving me. It's very unhealthy. It's very toxic in every way. And I just like cold turkey stopped. Like I had like that rock bottom moment where I was like, no, like even though for so long, like people were telling me, I would tell myself, but it took like that moment where I was like, I need to make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a very, 
very low rock bottom. I mean, everyone considers their rock bottom differently. So Mm -hmm. for me, like it was very low in that by the time I hit rock bottom, I was emotionally bankrupt. I was spiritually bankrupt. I was financially bankrupt. I was physically bankrupt. Like I almost died. But something that you said, like you can hear it from other people and you can kind of know like this isn't really working for me, but it isn't until you get to that place and it's so different for everybody where you just know that you have to stop. And for me, I didn't really get there willingly. I got there because I was intervened on, thank God. But something that the rock bottom really did for me was it gave me, like there's this saying in recovery, the gift of desperation. Mm -hmm. I was so desperate that then I became willing to change my actions and my behaviors and do whatever it took to change the way I was living. And I didn't have the willingness to do that before I hit rock bottom because I still thought like, oh, well, maybe if I just hang out with different people or maybe if I just go back to school or maybe if I get the right job or the right car or the right clothes or the right whatever, like external thing. I kept thinking that that would maybe be the solution. And obviously with alcoholism and addiction, denial is such a big part of that. So it really took me getting kind of beaten into a position of submission where I was then willing to surrender and like just be open-minded enough to listen to other people and admit that like I didn't have the answers. I didn't know how to live my life drinking and using. And I also didn't know how to my, how to live my life without drinking and using. And so I mm-hmm. had to like kind of follow people who had done it before mm-hmm. um, and just follow their footsteps and let them do the thinking for me initially. And, but yeah, like without rock bottom, just back to your question, I wouldn't have the life that I have today. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. What you said about you didn't know how to live with drugs and alcohol and without it. You look, that's like thinking about that concept. It's like you find yourself in the middle and that's probably where fear creeps in. And then it was probably just comfortable to be in the place that you're already in versus like the, there's probably more fear in the change than there is with just like staying in the same place. And I, I think it's so important and you can, you know, attest to this, but to love people for where they're at because of the fact that, people can be telling you, oh, you need to get sober. You need to stop doing this, stop doing that, stop sleeping around, whatever. But until you feel it for yourself, it doesn't matter what anyone else says to you. And so I don't don't know, you can touch on that, but I think it's so important to not judge and not kind of shame people or tell them what to do. But as, you know, a family member, a friend, whoever it is, but to just love them and support them for where they're at and on their journey, because it really is going to take that rock bottom moment to be like, I see it now. Like I need to make a change. Well, yeah. And it's always so easy for people who are looking at it kind of from the outside looking in to just Mm -hmm. say like, well, can't you just stop sleeping around or can't you just stop drinking and using? And especially with like alcoholism and addiction, which I can speak to, obviously it's not like I wanted to be doing what I was doing. Like Mm -hmm. I had to wake up and drink. I had to wake up in the middle of the night and drink to be able to fall back asleep, to be able to sleep until seven and then get up and drink and use like I was so physically dependent on drugs and alcohol, especially towards the end of my addiction. But you're right, like you're in this place where it's like, I didn't want to be doing that, but I didn't want to ask for help. And the uncertainty and the unknown of what a life would look like sober was so terrifying because I think when we're in it, like our perspective is so 
finite. We can just see what's right in front of us. Whereas like God, the universe, whatever you believe in, that plan is so much broader, Mm -hmm. but it's so hard when you're in any kind of like challenging situation or you're wanting to change something, but you're afraid. Like we as humans only have the capability to like process so much and we can only process like you know, what's right in front of us. We can't see Mm -hmm. the big picture, of course, until we're out of it. And then we can see in hindsight how, you know, the cards were kind of like stacking up or how everything was working out, usually in our favor. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you can only, we can only see what's right in front of us, but God sees around the corner and down the street and where we can't see, but it's so hard when you can't physically see what's in front of you to trust, like, am I making the right step? Am I going to fail? Am I going to fall back? Like, all these like fear-based thoughts that like really don't serve any of us any good. But again, it's like such a hard place to be in. So, you know, you can obviously speak on it, but what would you say that that old version of you, what's the number one thing you think that old version of you taught the new version of you? Ooh, that's a really good question. I think, I don't know if it's so much the old version of me, but I I think all of it, like going through that whole experience, I think kind of what we're talking about, like you can think that what you're going through is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. I thought getting sober would be the worst thing that ever happened to me. That moment when my family intervened on me and showed up at my door and I knew that like the game was up and... I knew that my life was about to start over and that there was going to be massive change. That was terrifying. And I could not believe that it had come to that. And, you know, it's hard. It's hard when you're in that moment to think that, like, it's not going to be this. It's going to be better. You think that, like, it's not going to be this and it's going to get worse. But from that moment that I thought would be the absolute worst thing in the world, you know, that was the foundation that my life has been built upon. And since then, in the past eight years that I've been sober, like the most challenging things that I've gone through or the things that I thought would be the worst thing that I could go through have in hindsight been kind of like steering my life in the way that it's gone. So I think that would probably be like the ultimate lesson that I got from that. What advice would you give someone who feels like maybe, you know, they have habitual un healthy habits, but they don't know where to start to make changes. And it doesn't have to be something as crazy as like getting sober, but maybe it's just unhealthy habits that they want to make a change. I feel like you're such a good person to talk on this because you have so many good, healthy habits. And I loved your post the other day about all the things you accomplished basically before 9am. And like, this is not normal, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I really believe in the power of like putting pen to paper and not like putting thumb to phone, like not in your phone notes, but I think getting a journal, getting a pen or a pencil and just writing everything down. So I'm a big fan of like pros and cons list and also taking inventory. So if you just get a piece of paper and write down where you feel like you are right now and where you want to be or like what your habits are right now and what you want your habits to be. So if you're like, I can't wake up before 9am and I'm not exercising and I feel like you know, I don't like the people that I'm hanging out with or influence on me or what we're doing. And I don't, whatever it is, take inventory of that. You know, there's the saying that like, again, it's a recovery saying, but something about like businesses that don't take inventory, like can't be successful. And the same goes for humans. That's so and good. 
Yeah. And everything is so different when it's in your head versus when it's on paper. Like it feels so unmanageable when it's in your head. And when you get it down, you can be like, okay, this is very clear. Like, wow, these are the things that I'm doing. And it's so different from the things that I want to be doing. So once you do that, then you can kind of see like, well, where can I make a little bit of change? And I always recommend starting small because I'm sure everybody has had the experience where they're like, I want to change. And you try to overhaul everything. And then you miss a day where you like you sleep in or whatever it is. And you just say like, well, screw it, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you just throw in the towel. So I think starting small with things that are really manageable and that would be different for everybody, but just try to implement like one change. And then once you get that done, maybe that's waking up a little earlier or maybe that's walking a thousand steps in the morning and just do it really incrementally because it's not, it's so cliche, but like, you know, making changes like this, that you want to make to enhance your life. That's like a long game. You Mm -hmm. don't have to do it all at once. Have you read the book Atomic Habits? I have it, but I haven't read it. Same, but we (laughs) talked about it. I have so many books I'm trying to read. I get like 10 pages in and then I'm like, do I want to read a different book? But I'm trying, like we're talking about, I'm trying to finish one book before starting another. But anyway, that book, they talk about that. Um, One of my friends is reading it right now. And in our Bible study last night, we kind of, our group is kind of based on um, business, women in business and uh, women who have like big dreams. So we kind of did what you're talking about now. We had everyone kind of write down their, like something on their heart, like a big dream or desire that they, that they want. Because I think also when we put it in our phone, it's very easy to like, A, get distracted. It's like, oh, you go on your phone to write this note, but then you accidentally open Instagram and now you're distracted (laughs) for 35 minutes and then you don't even remember what was going on in your brain before then. So I agree. I think the journaling is so good um, because seeing it, you're able to visualize it more and then it becomes more like, okay, maybe I can accomplish this. And then implementing, like you said, like action steps, like small action steps. And they say what it takes 21 days to form a habit, something like that. Yeah. I mean, I really like I remember people telling me to do this when I first got sober. I was going through something really hard in my first year and somebody was like, "Okay, I want you to make a pros and cons list. And I was like, make a pros and do you not understand the gravity of this situation (laughs) that I'm going through? And she's like, "Uh uh-huh make a pros and cons list. And I wrote it down. And like, it was so clear once I got it in front of me, it was like undeniable, you know, what decision I had to make based off of that. And so, yeah, it is such like a powerful, simple tool, but I think we're so, I don't know, we're so sat the, the advice world and like the wellness world and spiritual, whatever, it's so saturated right now. And it's hard to know what to do. And there are so many different opinions on what to do. And I think we tend to like overcomplicate it. Totally. And not everything works for everyone too. So I think finding, finding what works best for you and just kind of rolling with that and giving yourself grace when you sleep in, when you want to wake up early and remembering that it's like, okay, to like have days where you don't feel like you need to accomplish everything on your list because that is overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, we are our own worst enemies, right? And like we are hardest on ourselves than anybody else in our lives. And we talk to ourselves probably worse than we talk to anybody. So like for all of these reasons, (laughs) I really believe in like (laughs) trying to set yourself up for for small wins and Mm -hmm. setting yourself up for success. So that's probably not going to be like overhauling your entire life. It's just like, oh, where can I make one small positive change, Mm -hmm. you know? 
That's so good. That will usually have a domino effect. So I want to talk on like who you hang with, like that thought. You talked in your solo episode about how like you were exposed to a lot of things at like a young age due, due to the crowd you were in. And obviously we all know the quote, like you are the sum of the five people that you surround yourself with. So now that you're living this like healthier lifestyle and you've been sober eight years, like are you careful with who you let in your inner circle and who you choose to spend your time with? Like how important is that? It's very important. And I noticed that I think one of the main things that kind of fueled my drinking and my drug use was being around people that I didn't really align with. And so I felt like I had to either put on a facade or I had to like have some kind of external thing to like, you know, lubricate the social situations that I Mm -hmm. felt like I could fit in with them. Like I was just around people that I was around for the wrong reasons. Maybe like they were popular. They had something that I wanted. I wanted to be associated with them, whatever, but they weren't like energetically a good fit. I'm very, you know me pretty well. Mm -hmm. I'm very laid back. I'm very much like kind of an introvert. If I'm around people that are feeding my energy, then I'm not an introvert. But if I'm around people that are like kind of draining my energy, then I get drained so fast and I just don't want to be social at all. So um, I didn't really know that early sobriety. And I found that I would still like be in social situations where after 30 minutes, I'd be like, oh my God, I have to leave. This is so draining. I am such an introvert. And it wasn't until recently that (laughs) I realized, no, I'm just hanging around the wrong people. And Mm -hmm. I think that it sounds woo-woo, the energy thing, but you know how you feel when you leave Mm-hmm. a social situation with somebody you either feel energized or you feel drained and I think that's really important to listen to you know it was really important for me in my sobriety especially my early sobriety to like build a foundation and have a support network and just have friends who had like a common experience and common interests as me and you also said in your episode like when everyone around you is doing it it doesn't seem like a problem and I feel like that can mm-hmm. apply to literally anything in life and unhealthy habits. Like for me, like I was hanging around girls who were doing the same thing as me drinking and, you know, Oh, let's, let's go back to their house with them. Let's stay the night. Like, and I feel like my gut and intuition always like fell off and I'm like, Oh, my friends are doing it. I'll do, I'll do it too. And I feel like that's Mm -hmm. such like a, that can apply to anything. If you're trying to get sober, obviously like you're not going to be hanging around people who are getting blackout drunk, even if they are your friends. And so did you struggle with, like, did you have to go through like friendship breakups and, and did you, ha- was it understood or were, was that like kind of like an area that was difficult for you to leave certain friend groups? I think I had isolated myself so much before I got sober. I had kind of gotten to the point where I cut so many people off or they kind of cut me off because let's face it, I was like a complete tornado in everybody's <laughs> lives, but Yeah, I was very isolated. I really wasn't talking to anybody towards the end. And when I got sober, a lot of the people that I had been hanging out with all kind of wished me well. And there are some people that I stayed in touch with. But yeah, I think that I have to be very wary about that. Somebody early on told me water seeks its own level. Mm. So I was going back trying to like rekindle relationships with people that I had hooked up with before I got sober and like justify it. And this person was like, water seeks its own level. Like you are not that person anymore that you were then. So why would you even be interested in this? And that was something that really 
stuck with me. So it was hard. You know, I got sober in my late 20s and I felt like I was starting over with no relationship, no friendships, no direction, no career, no nothing. And I really think that as a result of finding people who were going through similar things and had similar ambitions and were, you know, good people, that really helped to not only give me that foundation and that support network, but kind of like guided me in the right path, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And you know, I can only imagine like when you're in anyone is in an unhealthy environment or an unhealthy version of themselves, they also attract that. So I imagine toxic relationships, whether that be friendships or dating relationships. And so after you got sober, you and Chuck met after you guys got sober. And then how was it like going into like such a healthy relationship after experiencing things you experienced? Was it like, oh my gosh, like what the heck was I doing this whole time? That was, I, that was my personal experience. <laughs> Yes and no. Yeah. So we met, I was about a year and a half sober. He was like, at that point, I don't know, 17 or 16 years sober. He had quite wow. a bit of time. And we, we knew each other for a while before we started dating. But yeah, prior to him and prior to getting sober, my MO was meet somebody out at a bar, one night stand, move in the next week. <laughs> I was like, dang. <laughs> and then be in a relationship. <laughs> and then be in a relationship for three years. And it's kind of funny because it is kind of like what you were saying about the friend group. Like I would find people to be in relationships with that were doing the same thing that I was doing because it normalizes it. Totally. And there's another saying in recovery, not to like just be regurgitating all of this, but you know, the saying about having lower companions and you hang out with lower companions because they either make you feel like what you're doing is okay or at best they normalize it. And so you feel like, you know, what you're doing is normal. So yeah, I had no, no healthy relationships really to compare anything to when I started <laughs> dating Chuck. And yeah, there were definitely points where I was like, this is so stable like what's wrong here mm -hmm. <laughs> because it was just so different from the roller coaster that I used to be on and I think as somebody who obviously really kind of thrived on that not thrived but I was so used to that roller coaster and like the really highs and lows I think that that in itself can get a little bit addictive and so it was, it was really nice and it was also kind of hard to be in like such a stable relationship because it would be like well where's the excitement like mm -hmm. you know should we fight like what what's happening totally <laughs> no I read I I've been recently like really intrigued on that topic and I follow some people on accounts on Instagram and I just read this book how to do the work by this therapist or doctor her name's Nicole also and she talks about how people who grow up in chaotic homes or in chaotic environments or are used to a chaotic lifestyle, whether that be like an addiction or just being in toxic relationships, when you enter into something healthy, like there's like some chemical in your brain that craves that roller coaster. A lot of times they say people who crave that or like come from chaoticness and get into something stable and healthy, they will pick fights out of thin air because they're like, they, they're like unconsciously craving that like chaotic roller coaster. 
And I found it so hysterical because she said a lot of times people in healthy relationships will crave watching TV shows that give a high to that like chemical in their brain. Like usually they'll want to watch like a criminal minds or some type of show that like feeds that, that chaoticness. And I mean, I've experienced this in my, literally in my own marriage. Like I will sometimes be like, do I want to be mad at that? Just because I'm craving the like, I don't know, like the, the emotion, it's like hard. It's easier for me to be mad than it is for me to be like any other emotion, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I find that so Mm -hmm. interesting how our brain craves this like roller coaster when it's like, nope, now you have a healthy lifestyle. Like let's, let's not get chaotic. I had a psychologist on my show and she was basically saying that like, we kind of just intuitively repeat relationship cycles that we've had early in our life. Mm -hmm. So you would think that if you had chaotic relationships or wounds or whatever, you would seek relationships to kind of soothe that and change that. And she said, no, you really kind of subconsciously seek out relationships that mimic whatever relationships you've had in Mm -hmm. the past. Or relationships you grew up like seeking. So if you grew up in like a chaotic house with like, you know, like a toxic parent relationship, then you'll, that's why they say most people marry like someone like their father in most cases, because you're so used to that behavior that it's just like, you're not even consciously like attracting these people, which is so interesting Mm -hmm. to me. Oh yeah. I had a moment two days ago where I was like, I just, I married my mother. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like Chuck did something and I was like, wait, this is the exact pattern that happened with my mom. Why do we do this? And there, are other times, and then there are other times where I'm like, oh yeah, I married my father. And I know because he's older, people are like, ew, gross. But we all do. Like we all yes. subconsciously seek out like the same kind of attachments and the same patterns and the same things that we are used to that have been like, wired in us from the beginning. So speaking on Chuck, I, I find it so amazing how hard you work and just your work ethic in general, and just how successful you are on your own, because people have a lot of assumptions about you. And you have talked to me about this before, but how, how does Chuck inspire you with his work ethic? Because, you know, I think the assumptions people would say is, oh, it'd be easy for you to stay home and do nothing. But instead, Mm -hmm. his work ethic inspires you, which I think is so incredible. Yeah. So he has inspired me in a lot of different ways. And to the people who say that, I don't think anybody listening would be one of those people. But I always think it's funny because he would never be in a relationship with me if I was just resting on my laurels and like, hey, I'm going to go shopping today and then go to Pilates and that's it. Day's done. You know, something that he always says attracted me to him from the beginning was my work ethic and my drive and all of that. And I think a lot of that comes from kind of like the second chance nature of my life, you know, because mm-hmm. I I feel like I kind of squandered a lot of time in my addiction and really did nothing. And so I feel like sometimes I'm kind of overcompensating for that a little bit. And it definitely feeds into that drive. Mm-hmm. As far as Chuck goes, I mean... He works harder 
than anybody I've ever seen. I cannot understand it. Like, I don't understand how somebody, I think that I have a long day where I have to <laughs> do shoots and record podcasts or whatever. <laughs> and I'll tell him about it. And then I'm like, how's your day? And it's on such another level that I just can't even <laughs> fathom the pressure of having to like, because he writes everything. And there have been times where he has six shows on TV and he's writing and there's hundreds of people on every show that are, their livelihood is depending on the show. <laughs> Casual. Well, I mean, yeah, like crazy amounts of pressure that I could never even comprehend. And yet he makes it look so effortless and he also has such good boundaries with it. Like he can actually shut off at night, whereas I really can't. So his work ethic is very inspiring. And I've asked him before, like, what is the secret to success? We all want to know, right? And he mm -hmm. very simply says, you just have to work harder than everybody else. And I find that to be really refreshing because I feel like we live in a time where everyone wants to have like the sexy book, you know, the four or five hour work week, whatever it is, I can't remember. And, you know, work smarter, not harder and all these different things. And I think there's value in all of that. And obviously, like you were saying before, we're all so different and different things work for different people. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also valuable to hear from somebody who's like so at the top of his game, who's been at the top of his game for 30 years, say, yeah, there's really no secret. Like when everyone else is going home, you work harder. And when everyone else is sleeping, you work harder. And that's really not my nature, as you know. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I don't want to work harder. But that has been really inspiring to me. And then another thing about him, not to like just be gushing, but his humility. You know, he is in such a position of um, success and power. And he's been obviously very financially successful. And he could be one way. And he is the complete opposite. He's the most humble person that I know, especially in his kind of position. And that really inspires me because I think that with social media, everybody is trying to get on there and flaunt their wealth and what they have and and shove it down people's throats. And really that just comes from a place of like scarcity. And I think- Yeah. Um, or overcompensating. That, like he's not trying to do that. Yeah. Yes. And I think that that is so refreshing. And that's something that I really tried to, um, something I really try to embody also in my life. That's awesome. And I think it's, it's, yeah, like to live with someone who like challenges even your mind, like your mindset is, is so, I think, especially for people who have like you and I, like we have good work ethic, but to live with someone who has like an even to our opinion, like a greater work ethic. It's like, it makes me want to work harder. And like you said, I, I think, do you know who Ed Milet is? You've heard him on some mm -hmm. on podcast. Mm -hmm. His book, I yeah. think coming out is called One More or something. And the concept behind it is just do one more when everyone else is stopping, like stay one more hour, do one more rep in the gym, read one more page in your book, take one more work call because it's, I feel like that's very similar advice to what Chuck said. It's just, just work a little bit harder when everyone mm -hmm. else is sleeping. <laughs> like me. And it's so funny too, because <laughs> I, I feel like that's, <laughs> kind of, 
I feel like people don't want to hear that because now I feel like everyone is saying, oh, we kind of fetishize this grinding kind of mm-hmm. work ethic and it's not healthy. And I think that's, there's a difference. Like there's nuance there because you can work harder and you can do one more. You can work when everyone else is sleeping, but you can also have boundaries. And I think that's really important for everyone to recognize what those boundaries are for them. So, you know, Chuck works harder. Like he'll go in when a show is set to start shooting the next day and he'll throw out the entire script and he'll stay there for so many freaking hours rewriting that thing. Like that to me sounds absolutely horrible. I could never. (laughs) But then he comes home and he, and he turns it off and Mm -hmm. that's his boundary. And so I think, yeah, I I feel like people don't want to hear that answer necessarily. Mm -hmm. But I feel like with him and other really successful people that I've been in a position to get to talk to both through my job and also through my relationship with him and meeting a lot of these people, that is kind of the common theme. They all just say, you have to work harder and that will look different for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and I definitely have days where I don't work harder. <laughs> well, we <laughs> all we do. Those days. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. also I think there's a time and a season for that too, because I'm sure Chuck will say this also, and you, it's not overnight success. It's constantly Mm -hmm. working hard and being disciplined and, um, and being very dedicated to your passion and to your job. And I feel like Chuck is in a position now where like, he can turn it off when he gets home. Because he worked X amount of years, he, he did the staying up super late and doing all of that. And I feel like you and I, I mean, I'm still in a season where it's like, okay, well, I should probably just edit the rest of the night and then turn it and then tomorrow I'm good, you know? And, um, I think it's definitely, it's not an overnight success, like nothing amazing worth. What's the quote? Nothing worth having or nothing amazing ever comes easy. So like, if you want something really bad, Mm -hmm. like you have to work really hard. And I feel like people want quick success. And those are the people that are going to like, unfortunately fail because success does not happen overnight unless you're 16 and on TikTok. But that's another story. <laughs> plus, when you work for it, you appreciate it. And that's totally. something that, like, I don't know. I just could never – I can't say that it's not nice. Like, obviously, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in the position that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's a certain lifestyle and all that. But I could never just kind of take that for myself if I didn't work for it and be happy. Like, that's something that – I don't know. That's a big lesson that I learned too. Like you think that if you get X, Y, and Z, you'll be happy. And I had a really hard like year or two a couple years ago where I felt like I had gotten to a place where I had everything that I ever thought that I wanted and it didn't make me happy. And that's like a real spiritual turning point mm-hmm. that you know I could go off on a tangent about that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's so much more gratifying to work for something and then like be able to enjoy the success of that. It's such a better feeling like to know that your blood, sweat and tears went into your success. Like there's no greater feeling than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see on TikTok, like all these people talking about being stay at home girlfriends and like get that bag. And I'm like, I see those too. I try not to judge, but I'm just like, this is not this is not good. It's not fulfilling. <laughs> and I think that's like, gosh, yeah. TikTok can be so like, 
sometimes I see TikToks and I'm like, sweetie, no, like that's not going <laughs> to fulfill you. And I get the humor in it. Like, yes, they're funny, mm-hmm. but like yeah. if that's like a realistic thought or like lifestyle, I just think that's so sad. And like, I just feel like we're, we're all worth so much more than that. And it's just, it feels good to work hard for something that's yours and uh, have success in it. Okay. So wrapping up here. Okay. I have to talk about this assumption someone had of you because it's still like one of the funniest things I've, when I heard you say this on one of your podcast episodes, I was laughing for like 20 minutes. It it was the assumption that people think Chuck locks you in the bathroom because that's where you always do all of your videos. (laughs) And I laughed because when we shoot, we also shoot in your bathroom. (laughs) And it's so funny to me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I don't even know what I wanted you to share with that. I just wanted to share the assumption. (laughs) Yes. Um, So the backstory to that is that somebody, I think they meant to send my story to one of their friends. That's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Which happens all the time. People will be like, oh my God, that is the ugliest effing thing. You know, whatever. They send me a message that is intended for somebody else. How mortifying. So this one, one, you know what I do too? Most of the time, I'll just open it and leave them unseen so that they know that I opened it. Yeah. (laughs) And then I just don't respond, which I feel like is even worse than responding. Because if I respond, they'll be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. But if I just read it, they're like, oh, God. I feel like then they like. Oh, yeah. It's way worse for them. Yeah. So did you respond to that person? Very vindictive of me. I probably shouldn't do that. But I think I did respond to that person. So, yeah, she meant to send it to her friend. I can't remember exactly what she said, but something about like Chuck has her locked in the bathroom again (laughs) I think I responded and I can't remember what but you know like our house here that bathroom has the best light that's why I'm always in there if I'm filming anything it truly does and I just don't really show like much of our yeah there's no need to so yeah so funny (laughs) I had to bring that up um okay so wrapping it up I know you're like a you love to read so what what book what are some books you would recommend whether I don't know if they're like a self-help or just maybe your favorite favorite books oh that's actually the hardest question for me to answer I was talking to somebody about this earlier because she was like send me book racks and I literally have you know a note thing in my phone Mm -hmm. with like hundreds of books I mostly read fiction because I just, I love reading before I go to bed. That's one of my like very strict routine things. And when I get in bed after working all day, I just have a hard time processing and retaining nonfiction. Mm. Like my brain is kind of done and I need brain brain candy at that point. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if I have any fiction recommendations. I mean, I'm really big on like kind of daily reader type mm-hmm. books. So I read The Daily Stoic in the morning. I didn't know that was a thing. Like on your phone? I don't know if you can get it on your phone, but it's a book, The Daily Stoic, and it's like 365 meditations and it's stoicism, which is something that I can really relate to a lot. It's kind of aligned with recovery, just in that like nothing is good or bad, only our judgment is Mm -hmm. and you know, focus on the things you can control, things you can't. And each day is just kind of like a different 
lesson that you can mm-hmm. take with you. So it's kind of like a daily um, devotional so type thing, like an inspirational yeah. message. I love that. Mm-hmm. And then there's one opening doors within that I also love. And that's a little bit more, I wouldn't call it religious, but more like God centric. Like more faith based. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Faith based. Exactly. That's another one that I love. So those are, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Two is I great. I kind of rotate through a bunch of different ones. Okay, yeah. Everyone's like, we don't need to like have a library here. <laughs> I love a library. <laughs> um, okay, so for everyone listening, um, I'm going to link the books and then also her podcast and stuff. But do you want to just share where they can find you and find your amazing podcasts? So they can find me on Instagram at Ariel Lori. And then from there, you can find everything from my podcast which is the blonde files podcast on dear media and my tiktok and (laughs) my website and everything is pretty much linked there from instagram that's kind of home base one stop shop or one shop stop (laughs) someone i i had a shoot today and she said one shop stop i'm like wait is it one shop stop or one stop shop one stop shop one stop sure. shop did I say it right mm-hmm. now it's sounding no, weird <laughs> well said, yeah you said one stop shop and then you switched it to the wrong one one shop stop one stop shop <laughs> that is a tongue twister it's, yeah now it sounds wrong. now it sounds wrong <laughs> now it sounds very wrong okay well we're, we're getting off track again but thank you so much I'm so glad that we were able to make this happen today I think your story is so inspirational and I truly believe that, you know, God uses our past for our future and that your story is just such a good testimony and has helped so many people. And whether someone else is trying to get sober or not, it's just a good story of, you know, trusting um, the plan for your future and uh, trusting that there's something better out there for you. And so thank you for coming on and being vulnerable and sharing that. Thank you. Thank you.